sense that maybe in those moments God was doing something for one or two people. Just in that stillness, just in that moment of reflection. That maybe just to be still in his presence and just to allow something of God's presence to overwhelm us and to touch us. We're continuing our theme of living for God's glory. And we're going to turn to scripture and to John chapter 15. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel. And we're going to read the first 17 verses of uh, that, uh, that chapter To many of us it would be a well-known passage, uh, speaking about the vine and uh, the branches. Over these weeks we are looking at our new strapline, to live for God's glory, love one another, make Jesus Christ known. And we're exploring what that means and for these three weeks we're in the first part of that, to live for God's glory. And so we're going to turn to this passage in John's Gospel. And uh, I guess the, uh, the verse that really comes out of it for me is verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. But let's read the, chapter, the, the, the verses. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. 
For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The second of three weeks, just looking a little bit at the glory of God and what it means to be living for God's glory. And uh, yes, we're looking a little bit more practically this week. Mark Clay, the regional minister for the East Midlands Baptist Association, will be coming next week and we'll be concluding this aspect of looking at our, our strap line. Last week, we were looking and trying to define what I almost said was the impossible, to define the glory of God, what the glory of God is. And uh, we came and we used, in a sense, the uh, John Piper's definition. Looking at the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. God's holiness is the incomparable perfection and greatness of his divine nature. His glory is the display of that holiness. When God shows himself to be holy, what we see is his glory, the beauty of his holiness. We recognise that glory was a word a bit like beauty. How do you come and describe it? How do you come and define it? And we looked at it as a description of who God is. We looked at it as it's revealed in Jesus Christ. And we looked at it as an expression of worship, that we're called to give glory to God. We're called to give honour and praise to his name. We're called to exalt his name, as those words from that opening psalm encouraged us. Exalt the name of the Lord together. Come and to glorify him. Today we're asking a very simple question. What does it look like? to live for God's glory. What impact should that have? And as I've already said, John 15 verse 8 gives us a clue. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So first of all, the picture that Jesus uses here in this passage. The vine had long been used as a symbol of the nation of Israel. It's been used right through the Old Testament. Vines grew well in Israel. The temple had the image of a vine trailing over its porch. In the words of one commentator, it is a metaphor with a history. The Old Testament writers had chosen the vine to point out how rich God's provision had been for Israel. Psalm 80 speaks of God bringing a vine out of Egypt which was planted and took root in the ground and that had been careful that had been carefully cleared. Isaiah 5 speaks of Israel as the choicest of vines planted on a fertile hillside from which rubble had been removed. Ezekiel 
17 uses the same picture, adding that alongside the good soil, there was also abundant water. And so you've got this image of Israel being a fruitful vine under the sovereignty of God. A vine that was to be fruitful and to be prosperous. On the other hand, these same writers use the image to speak of the failure of Israel, to yield the fruit that God expected and which had every opportunity to produce. I'll let Isaiah speak for them all, where he says in Isaiah 5 verse 2, Then God looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Israel was supposed to be a nation that yielded a good crop of fruit to the glory of God, the God who was their sovereign, the God who they worshipped, the God who called them. But God looks and he sees only bad fruit. Israel had become self-indulgent in enjoying its favoured position. It had rested on its favoured position. It said, well, we are Israel. And it had just become self-indulgent. It had failed in the mission that God had planted or had planned for it. Hosea 10 condemned the nation as a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. All that Israel could do was think about themselves. They were self-centred, self-indulged, and without reflecting the true mission and calling that God had for them. So what's the point that Jesus is making through this? Now the vine, as Bruce Milne points out, is not a pretty object. It's not a a plant of beauty. You would not use it necessarily for decoration. It is a no-frills, practical plant that has only one purpose, and that is to produce grapes, to produce a crop. That is the particular role of the branches, which are fed with life from the roots and the trunk of the vine. Jesus tells us that bearing fruit is our business. That is our ultimate business is to bear fruit. But what is the fruit that we are meant to bear? What is the fruit that we're meant to bear that brings glory to God, that is reflected there in verse 8? Again, this metaphor is well used elsewhere in the Bible to answer that question. There is the fruit, there is the fruit-bearing involved in witnessing to God's salvation. Isaiah 27 verse 6, for example, uses the image of a vine to imagine a day when Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Israel had been called as a nation to be a light to the nations. It wasn't just simply for them that God had called them. 
wasn't just simply for them that God had chosen them, but he'd chosen them for a purpose, to be a light for the nations, to be a witness to the glory of God, to be a means of mission in terms of the salvation of the world. Here in Isaiah, there the fruit is the announcement of God's salvation. His plan for dealing with sin from which all nations were to benefit. That was to be one of their prime purposes, to be witnesses to God's salvation, to share the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. As we look through the Old Testament, there is the fruit bearing involved in working for social justice. The short passage in Isaiah 5 that introduces the image of Israel as a vine concludes in verse 7. God looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Rather than following a path of social justice and looking for social justice and upholding the truth of the gospel, the Israelites had failed to live by and stand for that which was right. Instead of peace, they resorted to violence. Instead of justice, they resorted to corruption. Instead of protecting the vulnerable, they resorted to abusing them and exploiting them for their own means. The fruit of mission is not only evangelism, but also social justice. But then there is a third point that Jesus is bringing, and that is the, also that fruit-bearing involves growing in personal character. In Galatians 5, 23 Paul speaks of the virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control as being the fruits of the Spirit. And when we think about bearing fruit, so often that is all we focus on. As good as it is, yes. But it's only one part of a bigger picture. These few words contain a wealth of truth. They describe the sort of person that God longs for each of us to be. By using the single word fruit instead of the plural fruits, Paul reminds us that we cannot pick and choose. This is not a pick and choose list. This is one fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in each and every one of our lives. We cannot specialise in joy while never exercising self-control. We can never look to more patience without also expressing kindness. We might picture the image Paul is using of that of a blended fruit drink a fruit smoothie in which the taste of one ingredient flavours all the others 
And all the, all the ingredients are needed to make, the, to make the drink palatable, to make the drink complete. Paul teaches us that although effort is required on our part, it is the Holy Spirit who provides the life deep within us, which then produces the fruit. So what are the principles that Jesus teaches in this passage? It's evident that Jesus' primary concern is not the quantity of fruit produced, but the quality. Verse 16 speaks about fruit that will last. Rather than become rotten as soon as it is harvested, or even whilst it is still on the vine. So how is this quality of fruit produced? He gives four secrets of spiritual horticulture. First of all, it will involve pruning. Verse 2 refers to the habit of double pruning, which was practised in Jesus' day. In April and May, dead branches were removed from the vine, those branches that are incapable of bearing fruit. In July and August, weaker branches would be pinched out to allow the stronger ones more room to grow and to produce a healthier grape and harvest. If we are to be top quality fruit bearers for Jesus, we should expect to experience God's gracious pruning in our lives. The kind of knife he uses may vary. It may be verses of scripture that convict us. It may be a friend who criticises us. It may be circumstances in life that confine us. It might be conflict. It might be hardship. It might be failure in some aspect of our lives. It might even be our doubts and our questions. All used by God to discipline us and to produce a better harvest, a better fruit in us. I sometimes remind people when they say, oh, I wish I had more patience. Well then, stop complaining when you're put into situations that irritate you. Because it may be those particular situations where God is wanting you to develop patience. Secondly, it will include remaining. In verses 4 and 5, it is obvious that no branch can produce fruit on its own. It lacks the source of life that alone can generate the fruit. No computer will function when it is cut off from its power supply. The electricity needed to make it work. So it is with us in our spiritual, in spiritual terms. The simple secret is to stay close and stay connected to Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. Do you consecrate? Consciously maintain that connection to Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit? Do you consciously welcome the Holy Spirit 
as that electricity that connects us to Jesus and to God? How do we do that? Well, we do it by cultivating good habits. Regular worship. Regular reading of the scriptures. Attending a connect group. Yeah, and connect groups this week will be following through this material as they reflect more fully on what it means to be living for God's glory. We need to take time to connect to Jesus. We cannot expect to have all the other benefits if we don't plug in. If we don't plug in. It's no good going up to that computer and pressing the start button and keep pressing the start button when actually the thing isn't plugged in. But how many of us are guilty of that? Oh God, will you just do this, please? Will you please just do this? Without connecting, without remaining, without submitting to him. It involves praying. Verse 7 appears to give us a blank check as far as prayer is concerned. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. How we love that verse, don't we? And how we grumble about it. How we grumble about it because we take it out of context. These words were, are written to those who remain. To those who remain plugged in. So maybe the first question that we need to ask when we feel that God isn't hearing us is, am I plugged in? Am I plugged into God? Am I hearing God right? Am I asking God right? These words are written to those who remain in Jesus and those who do this will not not be made, will not be making vain, foolish, self-centred, isolated requests or asking for anything that dishonours God. But it does encourage us to ask for that which will glorify him. And also it involves loving one another. But from verse 9 onwards we are stepping into the second phase of our strapline. And shall I simply say more of that in February? But why does Jesus say all this? He says it because he is concerned that we should bring honour to the Father, that we should glorify the Father, that we should lift up the name of our Heavenly Father. Bearing fruit, he says, is to my Father's glory. To my Father's glory. We reflect the glory of God as we bear fruit through witnessing to his salvation. Are we witnesses to his salvation? Are we people who take every opportunity to witness to the hope that we have within us? We reflect God's glory when we are working for social justice. 
Are we looking for justice? Are we looking for mercy? Or are we simply self-centred, serving our own needs and our own ends? We reflect God's glory when we are growing in personal character. Can I ask you a simple question? In the last months, where have you witnessed to his salvation? Where have you witnessed to his salvation? In the last month, where have you worked for social justice? I'm going to extend it for the third one. Where in the last 12 months have you grown in personal character? The evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Every time we speak out for Jesus, heaven applauds. Every time we uphold the cause of justice, heaven applauds. Every time we grow in the fruit of the Spirit and we overcome perhaps our impatience, our lack of kindness, our lack of love or whatever, every time we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, heaven applauds. And as heaven applauds, God is glorified, honoured and lifted up. And to him be the glory forever. Amen.